Me gusta la gasolina, baby. Let's do it. Nah, nah, miss me with that shit, man. <laughs> Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 27. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Vintage Cube and boss Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about the year that was in Legacy. I've had so much fun playing the Vintage Cube for the last week or so. It kicked me, it got me out of my arena habit, it got me back on Magic Online, and I've only been doing it for three or four days now, but I'm already 15 cubes in. Or 15 drafts in, and uh, things are going well. You had a pretty good win-loss record from what I saw on Twitter. I still don't have anything lower than a 2-1. I went kind of on a streak at the beginning. So is it is it weird for you switching to best of three? Arena let me sort of play those new standard intro decks and have a little bit of fun with it. But there's nothing more fun than kiki-jikiing somebody and... Uh, or natural ordering out a crater hoof, that's pretty fun too. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So unfortunately I couldn't make it last week, but you got to record with uh, Julian and James. And that, that that came out a couple days ago, I got to hear it. Good job, man. Way to hold it down. Yeah, we got, we to replace you, we had to dig deep. And I think that we did a passable job. Yeah, we have, we have quite a guest this week. We wanted to do like a a wrap on this year we're 27 episodes in we've been casting out for half a year i wasn't here last week to say that but 26 episodes you know 52 weeks that's half a year it doesn't feel like it's been half a year to be honest but it happens that our half year lines up with a full year ending 2018 the year uh, that will live in infamy for quite some time i think and this this was a crazy year for legacy so we got on this week Somebody who I feel is always very vocal about uh, what's going on in Legacy, very honest, you know, uh, and sharing his takes on Twitter that I often appreciate. We have former co-host of Cast from Exile, Lawrence Harmon. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome. Great to have you, man. Glad you agreed to be here with us. Yeah, no problem. So what have you been up to? What's your your regular Legacy uh, lifestyle like at this point? I haven't been playing a lot, a lot of Legacy. I've been, I've kind of started to pick up streaming, so I've been playing it a bit more. But I've kind of just been like bouncing between decks, trying different things. Uh, the format's in a really interesting spot. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. Oh no, I think that it's it's really fun right now playing on Moto. At least I don't know what it's like in paper, but when I'm playing on Moto, I'm seeing all kinds of different decks, like the the ArcLight Phoenix deck. I think you streamed that, right? Yeah, I, I streamed it. Jarvis has been streaming it. The deck's really interesting. Right now, so so there was a period right after the Deathrite ban where Miracles kind of just took over. And then yeah. <clears throat> Grixis spiked to combat Miracles. And we kind of saw the effects of that at GP Shizuka, where the at least the feature match metagame seemed to be very heavily blue control decks. And then 
aggressively anti-blue control decks. So, like, every round was either, like, Moon Stompy versus Delver, or, like, Eldrazi versus Grixis Control, something like that. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see um, how everything is kind of panned out, because it gives people a clear idea of what to metagame for, and as long as you can, like, bob and weave in between the established metagame, there is some room to try new ideas, like the Phoenix deck. Exactly. Ben Friedman had a tweet earlier today that he said, like, uh, Ma- Legacy effectively, I'm going to paraphrase this, I'm probably going to fuck it up too, but he said, basically, Legacy is like the craft microbrew of formats, and Standard is like the Bud Light of formats, I, I assume he meant cold Bud Light, and Modern is like for Loco. And that's kind of what I feel Legacy has has done. I think that that was a very apt analogy that it's gone from like four loco a couple of months ago, where you'd bring a deck into a tournament and or into a league, I should say, and play against like five decks. They they could be anywhere on the spectrum, and it was just kind of like a matchup lottery. Now I feel like we've actually consolidated it into like a meta that you can attack, and I think that that's a very important part of having a stable, fun format. Yeah, I think when um, Deathrite got banned, a lot of people had the same idea of, I'm just going to play this deck that I find fun until other people figure out the metagame, if that makes sense. Like, I jammed Rug Delver for like a week straight because the deck is fun, but it's terrible. Shots fired. Oh, no, I love Rug Delver. It's just bad. If I can 3 to a league with Rug Delver, I feel great. If I 4-1, it's like basically a 5-0. Um, Have you tried playing four true names in that deck? Uh, I don't think the deck's curve can support four true names. Like, yeah, it kind of needs to go with the four hierarchs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you played that version of the deck, right? The, yeah, I've I've had pretty decent success. I'd say I'm averaging probably like 3.5 wins a league with that. A lot of 3-2s, a lot of 4-1s. But I haven't, I haven't played it very much in the past three weeks, so... You'll have to ship me a list. I haven't... Um, I haven't tried that variant. I've tried more of the like stockish for delver for goose uh two tree name two goif list nice and i've seen uh someone play like a true name not true name a noble hierarch bug delver list i can't quite remember the guy's moto name right now yeah he plays for stifle and he got me fucking hard with that in a league a couple weeks ago yeah stifle's a card i think stifle's like the worst it's historically been but like that's it's really tough, right? When when Stompy decks are at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, but there's also Stifle. Stifle as a card is kind of like dredges the deck, where like when everyone thinks Stifle is bad, that's kind of when Stifle is good because nobody remembers how to play around that card. Yeah. So like when everybody was playing Rug Delver for all of like two and a half weeks, Stifle just wasn't a real card that you should be playing. But you know now it's fine to play the card again because people aren't really cracking their fetches at the right times, you know. People just forget about that card and forget the play patterns that you need to employ to, you know, successfully beat it. Yeah, definitely. And it's always great. Like, I'm playing Flooded Strands and Wooded Foothills right now just to be able to, like, put Stifle as far from people's minds as possible when Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, when I'm starting out. And just, you see people play, like, a Misty and then think because it's like, do you do I want to expose myself to wasteland or do I want to wait and expose myself to stifle? 
And I maybe they're just Googling my list and I feel like they're having this internal dialogue, but really they're just looking it up. <laughs> it's whatever. I mean, it, it does feel pretty decent right now. That could possibly be it. I, I do love the game of like playing wooded foothills uh, or, you know, like you said, flooded strand if possible uh, in the stifled shells just so people think, oh, it's miracles. Oh, it's burn, you know? Yeah. So if we go back to the start of 2018, if you guys can remember way back to January 2018, just like where the legacy metagame was, right? And I, I remember distinctly preparing for GP Seattle. I was going to play Wilson's uh, Grixis Pyromancer-ish, pile-ish deck mm-hmm. that had two, or actually three basics, I should say. It had a basic mountain, a basic swamp, basic island, only 18 lands, no wastelands, four pyromancers. Trying to attack the format that way with cabal therapies and young pyromancers. And it was an extremely settled metagame. We had Miracles and Grixis Delver were 1A and 1B. And then we had Pile, Black Red Reanimator, Depths, Eldrazi Aggro, Sneak and show Ant and Blood Moon to some degree as like the the tier one point five decks, the the very defensible decks that you'd expect to be seeing. Yeah, um, I'd actually argue that Pile was tier one and Miracles was one point five, and then I don't actually think Sneak and Show was that playable during that period. I completely agree. I was about to say that I don't think that Miracles was very good at all around. You don't think the, Miracles the was tier one before the ban? No, um, no, it was. It was fine, but, like, the whole thing about Miracles was, like, all of the good Miracles pilots just ended up playing Delver because that deck was absurd. True. And because Delver was insane, like, you had to try to lose this Sneak and Show. Like, you either had to multi five or just play completely poorly. So, like, Sneak and Show as a deck just got pushed pretty far out of the format unless you were, like, JTA, right? So I think, like, the, the format was very much warped around Grixis Delver being the best deck and then like people kind of tried to attack that deck but i i don't think people really understood how to attack rixus delver my experience playing it was a lot of people just killing themselves just like making plays that would make sense against like a blue red delver or rug delver list but like grixus delver as a deck was basically just jund with ponder and days in it and i think a lot of people thought the deck was more tempo oriented but you really could just go long and outgrind people with that deck. You didn't really care as long as you weren't dead. Yeah, the Grixis Delver deck just ended up, at least to me, turning into a better true name deck than the Stoneblade deck that I was playing before. The move that they made to play multiple true names in the main deck really shored up a bunch of matchups for them. Yeah, exactly. Like when your deck can go like turn one probe, turn two true name with days backup, whatever, and like just bob and weave through your opponent it it was just it was just free like it was just free to play the deck yeah and that threat suite of delver as a cheap flyer that's great threat against combo like you're against your ants and your sneaking shows death right shaman which can win through a bridge is incidental graveyard hate true name nemesis which can't be targeted and then Gurmag Angler, which is immune from like the minus one or minus two effects. It was just such a well-rounded and, and a young Pyromancer, I should add, as like a token generator, go wide. 
it was like that four four two 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 split that they were playing mm-hmm. was just like a thing of beauty and and honestly so frustrating to deal with because sometimes they would have like a double true name star and you would be ready to handle anglers or you know what whatever it was that you were afraid of they could find and beat you with right and like part of the reason I thought the deck was insane was not like obviously Deathrite Shaman was an absurd card and made the deck better but. In reality, it was Gataxian Probe. Grixis Delver exploited information of the opponent's hand so absurdly well. You know, you could probe your opponent. See, like uh, someone mentioned, they could have like a Zealous Persecution, what have you. Uh, and then you're just like, okay, brainstorm away my true name. Here's my Gurmag Angler. Yeah, or, exactly. you know, you see Swords of Plowshares and it's like, okay, I'll play true name instead. And because the, the threat tweet, like, there was no one card that cleanly answered every threat. You could just destroy people however you wanted, really. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd kind of forgotten. I think that Grixis Delver should be considered tier zero after this conversation in, in the previous metagame. Yeah, it was the format. Yeah, that that Gataxian Probe experience, I've kind of blocked it out of my memory. It's like, someday I'll go in for like smoking cessation therapy. And I'll just be hit with all these like painful memories of getting Gitaxian probe down turn zero and just having no fucking chance in the game anymore. Oh yeah, um, because that was just too powerful. Turn one probing someone on the plate basically. I I didn't keep stats, but I wouldn't be shocked if like my like the game win percentage of turn one probe was just like somewhat absurd, like eighty percent. Just like any like average skill level or even like slightly above average skill level Delver player could probably match that just because the card was absurd. I would agree with that, honestly. And going into the ban, we actually had dinner when we were out in Seattle, we had dinner with Gavin Verhe. And what one thing that he said that really stuck with my mind is that, you know, probe costs nothing. Anyone can play it. The, the real costs to it are like having a one drop in a chalice metagame because it's a blue card, you know, and it costs no mana. So there was hardly any cost and then it stripped away like the most fun layer of the game, which is the hidden information layer, which is something that I never really thought about. I'm not like a game theory expert or anything like that, but it really did when when they probed you turns turn one on their turn one on the play or when you probe someone else turn one on the play. It was it was like you were. It, it really was. It was like you were just playing this game that was all your game because you knew what their plays were going to be. Right. It was like turn one Gitaxian probe didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to get some information and figure things out. It's like, how dead is my opponent? Like, you know, like I, I remember games where I would like turn one probe my opponent and then force a wilder ponder on turn one because they kept a one lander and then followed up with wasteland. And that was the game. And that's, like, not a play you would make in the dark against someone who kept seven, right? But, you know, Gitaxian Pro just enabled the, the ignorant things like that. I think that's very well put. Yeah, that's that's definitely a play that I saw quite a bit. So the bans happened. It was July 2nd. I was 100% on board with the Gitaxian Pro ban. I feel like, Lawrence, you were as well. Is that correct? I was on, I'm fine with both bans. Uh, I was really pushing for a Pro ban. And I was kind of ambivalent on a Deathrite Shaman ban. Um, I didn't think Wizards would do both at the same time. I figured that they would take one away and see how the format adjusted and then take the other one away. But I think 
they realized that Probe was a messed up card, whereas I don't think the player base of Legacy necessarily realized that. But everybody was pushing for death rate. So I think they were put in this position of, we're going to ban the card that we know is a problem, and then we're also going to ban the card that everyone is sick of playing against. I think that's exactly right. I Exactly like you put it. Because the community really cared a lot more about death rate, it seemed. Like, Probe was sort of an auxiliary conversation we were having. Right, right. And I really think Probe was more of an egregious card. Like, I had my issues with death rate making the color wheel a non-factor, you know, when you have the four-color deck and, like, people are playing Blood Moon and Checkpile. Like, when you have that kind of situation going on, it's <laughs> there's something egregious happening. But Deathrite did also lead to some interesting games. Sometimes, sometimes, Deathrite mirrors could be really intricate and interesting as to, like, when you would activate your Deathrite uh, to try and, like, get your opponent to tap theirs so you could, like, you know, like trading two damage so that you could make a mana and play your true name or whatever just those kinds of sub games were interesting to play yeah 100 percent. if i had my druthers i would have pulled probe first and see what happened but i'm okay with this hostage exchange sort of situation and tom where were you on that i still thought that death right was a fine card even though even though everybody was calling for it to be banned i thought probe I felt like the information didn't matter as much as other people did. But I thought that when they made the bannings that they were going to shake it up and take Grizzlebrand away as well. I thought that the bands are probably going to be Deathrite Probe and Grizzlebrand. And if they don't take Grizzlebrand away, then Black Red Reanimator runs the chance of just being way too good. I don't think Wizards will ever go to Grizzlebrand being too good for Legacy. The... The Grizzlebrand decks are very easy to keep down per se, right? Like, we've still seen Eric Landon have, like, an absurd 80% win rate on Moto with Black Red Reanimator, even when people know what he's playing game one. But I don't know if anyone else has matched that. I think it's really just him achieving that level of mastery with the deck. With regards to the information that Pro provided, I I really think you're, you may be under-evaluating how important it was, or how how game-breaking it was. It, it really just enabled play patterns that you normally wouldn't do that would be, you know, in the dark, very wrong. Like I said before, like, force a will a ponder on turn one uh, isn't something that you would see normally. But, like, with Pro, it was a very common play pattern. Yeah, the subtleties of it, like, not playing out a creature into, like, a, a Source of Plowshares or a Fatal Push if you couldn't protect it and you needed that creature like you would change your whole alignment of the game and i didn't actually realize how busted it was until i was preparing for seattle and actually the first note i sent wilson on the deck was gataxian probe should be banned because i played this deck that was basically like maximizing gataxian probe and within like a week of playing leagues i was just like this card is way too good this correlates with my winning game one such a huge percentage of the time Wilson's deck is a very good probe deck because it so so those of people who know Wilson how he deck builds is he'll take a like an existing deck shell so say like Grixis control right and he'll tweak enough things about it that it'll be a somewhat familiar deck for the opponent so they'll say oh it's Grixis control I know how to play against this 
and then all of a sudden pyromancer therapy happens right so he he finds ways to like make the opponent feel comfortable and then exploit that comfort um like with miracles he he cut jace from the deck went all in on monastery mentor so he had a list where you know people who would be hedging for jace or maybe saving pyroblast for jace or you know snapcaster predict or whatever would get punished for not just countering a cantrip and just die to a, you know a mentor just flooding the board out of nowhere and with a card like probe you just get to exploit that natural deck building advantage that he puts into his list by being able to leverage your your weird effects you know like wilson didn't play surgical in that list and i don't think he had fluster storms either right he had a stack of spell pierces exactly uh, so it was, it was you know decisions like that where he he very much just preys on people's expectations uh and just blows them out by by circumventing everything yeah that was so such an interesting experience working with him on that that deck and and going to play that deck in seattle because i'd never really i wasn't i'd never worked with him on a deck before and i never really experienced that sort of the the delta between what you know about your opponent's deck and what your opponent knows about your deck is like maximized in that situation because you lull them into thinking that you know what you're playing against and i had this really weird experience actually at the uh card kingdom 5k they had before the grand prix where i actually played a mirror because wilson had released his list on uh on the brainstorm show and somebody had picked up the deck and I actually just played myself by probing him turn zero, seeing like two deltas, three cantrips and thinking that this dude was on storm and not my deck. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a basic Island and a basic swamp that I saw. And I was just like, okay, this, this dude's playing ant. I, I think. And I, I totally just leveled myself. Like I wasn't, I wasn't ready for the, the Wilson experience. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I started testing AK back in, I think it was, it was like a couple weeks before the Pro Tour. Um, and I was playing AK and I would like hit Miracles Mirrors or whatever. And, you know, people would expect predict and like expect the deck to operate at a certain velocity. And I was just like circumventing that. And I was just like rolling through leagues over and over and over again. Because people just didn't understand how the, my list was functioning at the time. <laughs> and it was just, it was pretty sweet. Um, of course, like, people, more people have caught on to AK. And, like, it's more of, like, a stock thing. So people have a better idea of how to exploit its flaws. Uh, but for, like, a good period of, like, a couple months, it was just, like, free money. It was insane. Yeah, you you personally caused a buyout of accumulated knowledge at grand prix richmond the vendors were were out by midday on friday because of the article that you put out <laughs> I wasn't... Were, it was just all over all over twitter people asking for accumulated knowledges and nobody having them it was it was fun to watch yeah um so like the weeks leading up to the GP, I was planning on going to the GP, but couldn't because of work conflict. So I wasn't going to drop that article until after the GP. And I told people to try AK and people would try like a league or something. And a bunch of people just didn't like it and had no interest in it. And then like, of course, most of them like last minute switched over to AK for the GP and like Honorog, you know, 
had that unfortunate match playing for top eight. Was that the draw the draw that he had with Reed? Yeah. Um which you know, that's a whole different conversation. But it was interesting uh because I think one of my friends may have bought foil AKs before I dropped the article. I can't remember. But I I do remember seeing that people were buying them out, but I was just like, this card's never really going to spike in price. It's like a common from Invasions or something. And then I think it also had a reprint at the time. So it was just funny to see people still buying the card out. Yeah, well, I think it was it was mostly people bringing the Predict Miracles list to the Grand Prix and then realizing that they wanted to play AK and then not being able to play it because they couldn't get the cards. So I don't... I don't imagine a bunch of people trying to buy 20 or 30 copies from the vendors. I imagine the vendors not realizing that they needed to bring them, having a limited quantity, and then just nobody having them there. Right, because by that point, I think there was me and one other guy who was playing AK on Moto, and I don't think anyone else was really touching the card. And it's not a card that you buy in, like, ones and twos either. It's four or it's zero. Yeah, exactly. That drains inventory pretty quick. Plus, it's like, like I said, it's a common from Invasions. Like, what vendor is yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have my Invasions bulk box. So when the ban happened, was that something that you had had in your mind before? Like, that you just had in the chamber ready for, like, once Death Rite's gone, this card's going to be good? Because it seemed like you were on it pretty quick. Yes and no. Uh, when the ban happened, I really wanted to play Red Delver. I just like the deck. Um, but I, I'd actually forgotten about AK. Um I have a buddy, Steve Hendrickson. Uh, we chat about Legacy a lot, and, like, uh, we've both played Miracles forever, so we'll, like, discuss Miracles stuff and matches and, you know, shoot the shit or whatever. And uh, he'll periodically get very bored of just playing Miracles, because um, he mostly just plays at his LGS or whatever. And there was this period, while Deathrite Shaman was legal, that he built this, like, 62-card accumulated knowledge cavern of souls with teferi mage of zalfir wizards deck like yeah. just going completely into left field uh because why not um yeah. and you know he told me about the deck and everything and you know it's just something fun for him to do and he played it for a couple weeks or whatever <clears throat> so time lapse happens um and Deathrite gets banned, and I was watching Caleb D stream, and there's a guy on Moto, I think his name is, like, Yozo something? Yeah, Yozo. And he has this blue-red, like, it almost looks like modern Blue Moon, but it has, like, Vendillion clicks and true names, and he plays, like, Fire Ice in it, and, like, his most recent iteration also has Stand Still. But he was playing for Accumulated Knowledge. And uh, KLD was like, oh, yeah, this, this deck's cool. It's built a lot like Miracles, but it has Accumulated Knowledge instead of Predict. And I was like, why doesn't Predict play Accumulated Knowledge? And I was like, oh, because of Deathrite Shop. Oh. So then I just, <laughs> like... So, I like, me and my friends had a playtesting session, so I just, like, grabbed my box of Miracles stuff threw together a tentative list and just like kind of worked out a bunch of ideas um and then just started jamming it online yeah it seemed like it's been great i still play against uh manifer min he uh pretty much every friday night 
because my wife is on call Friday nights, so that's generally when I get a lot of my moto playing in. And I swear to God, every single Friday night I play against him on AK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch the development of things. Um, like Legacy is a format where when a blue good stuff deck is very good, it warps the format, right? So like Rug Delver warped the format at one point. Uh, Esper Deathblade warped the format at one point. Ponder Miracles made the format its bitch. Predict exacerbated that, right? Um, and we were at a point where like Miracles with AK was slowly creeping back into that like best deck position. And it was interesting to see how people were responding. Um, we've started to see more Chalice of the Void. We've started to see more like, you know, him to Torok decks that also can utilize like Snapcaster and Red Blast to combat like Miracle's top decks. It's been interesting for me to see how people have actually reacted to Legacy having a best deck. Whereas I feel like when top was legal, people didn't adjust in deck building the way they should have. If you go back and look at a lot of the deck lists from the top era, people didn't have Miracles hate. It was it was the most baffling thing to to deal with as a Miracles player, where you would take your deck, it's the best deck, it has a target on its back, and then you just breeze through a tournament because your opponents either didn't quite understand the dynamics of the matchup, or they just didn't have good cards for you. Um, but now it actually feels like people are playing good cards. You know, people are playing like Risk Factor in Legacy and uh, yeah. figuring out how to exploit the the slower do nothing decks, which is which is I think a net positive for the format. Just people actually adjusting. Yeah, absolutely. I agree hundred percent with that sentiment. And it was frustrating in the in the old meta. Because, like you mentioned, that Wilson deck with with four mentors, there were there were very distinct builds of miracles where what was good against one was awful against another. Like you mentioned that Pyroblast scenario, like there were miracles lists that were just all in on mentor and not playing Jace. There were you know miracles lists with just one entry as a win condition. And there was like whatever the fuck Joe Lissette was doing, you know. Yeah, it was. It was a tough spot to be. Like you'd pack Cross and Grip, and you'd pack like plain, you know, like a four drop Planeswalker. So, like I used to play like an Armageddon because that was generally good against all of them if I could find a spot to resolve it with Days Back or something. Yeah, man, get it fucked. Um, yeah, yeah, but like it was, it was really a lot tougher to metagame then than it is now, in my opinion. Yeah, with it was definitely hard because Miracles was a deck that could very easily adapt to what people were doing. So, like, Monastery Mentor got printed and a lot of the Miracles players just went over to that because it was kind of like an easier, quote-unquote, easier win condition to leverage than in Treat the Angels. And um, what ended up happening is a lot of people forgot, excuse me, a lot of people forgot how to play against Entreat. So, like, I know I moved back to Entreat, Anurag uh, moved back to Entreat. A lot of people moved back to the two Entreat lists and that just also led to free wins you know you'd have people like make attacks into entreat angels mid-combat or you had a lot of people who forgot how to like play liliana the veil specifically against entreat the angels list 
because like with a mentor list, of course, you just keep upticking, you keep the Miracles player off of cards, it's going to be hard for them to get leverage. But with Entreat the Angels, the Miracles player actively wanted you to uptick Liliana so that you would discard your whole hand, and then they could just jam and treat at some point and clear your board or kill you in one turn. Which I don't, I don't, I don't think Miracles now is as good at adapting, but it's still very good. It's just, uh, it's just a much less consistent deck. Yeah, I agree with that. So we had four GPs in 2018. We had before the ban GP Seattle which was won by Daniel Duterte playing the Tier 0 deck we discussed earlier, Grixis Delver. Uh, I believe he beat Dazani in the finals, who was playing like a check pile list. He was playing Bug Pile, right? Yeah, Bug bug Pile, I should say. You're, you're right. The four-color control, the, the pile lists, were really the go-to way to combat the Delver lists. So the check pile versus Grixis Delver matchup was really interesting. Um, a lot of people felt Checkpile was very favored, but that deck was just so weak to Wasteland in days. If that deck got like Wastelanded once and you kept them off of Deathrite Shaman, like Delver just rolled through them. It was it was a very weird matchup dichotomy. That was my experience too, actually testing with uh, Keith Wrong, our boy Keith. That Grixis Delver actually, I expected the the pile matchup to be a bad matchup. And I actually had a winning record against Pile, which shocked me. But especially if I could get the play on game one, I was winning at a really decent grip against them. I want to say that... So so this was in the period where I thought that Pile was just one of those decks that could only really do well on Moto. Like, we'd seen the deck crush challenges, but its conversion rates in GPs and two-day events was fairly terrible. With, like, the exception of, like, gold and platinum pros playing the deck, if that makes sense. Like, at at Eternal Weekend last year, we saw Andre Strosky be the only person on a pile list to top eight. Um, For GP Seattle, we have Jeremy Dazani and Steve Rubin, right? If, If we keep going back, there's kind of this trend of... You may have like one random guy do well with pile, but everyone else who does well with it is basically just like a certified master of magic in some regard, which which was always just an interesting thing for me to watch. I just felt like the deck was very much overhyped uh, by a lot of people, and I think Grixis Delver was just like a better version of pile, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the the level of skill of people that were performing well with the deck that had so many decisions in sequencing and lines of play that it sort of makes sense that better players would perform much better with the deck. Right. Like, like obviously good players are going to do well with Grixis Delver, but you don't have to be a good player to do well with Grixis Delver. Um, like, this isn't a jab at my buddy. But one of my friends had never played Grixis Delver and was his legacy seat for a team SCG. And I just like gave him my sideboarding guide and he went 8-1 on day one with the deck. And it's just like like how bad you can do with the deck when you, you know, 
you have days, you have wastelands, you can, you know, choke your opponent's mana and then punish them for missing land drops. You have Gitaxian Probe, so you always know what their hand is and, like, how to perfectly play around it. Like, the number of, like, really, really deep decisions you had to make with the deck, like, they were there, but there were a lot of situations where the deck kind of could just play itself, if that makes sense. Whereas Checkpile, you know, you get wastelanded, you're in a problem in a problem situation if you miss sequence you're you're boned if you get tired by like round eight well you're playing the like underground sea volcanic island back bayou deck right so like if you screw up on your like sequencing and land drop you're dead where like grit discover just cut all of that out yeah i agree entirely so we had 1640 players at grand prix seattle i i went out there with uh as we mentioned, Wilson, James, uh, our friend Jerry from Leaving Legacy. And it was a great time, and it felt like a Legacy Grand Prix. You know, there was a lot of players. And then we actually had, across the pond, in May, Grand Prix Birmingham, which was also the old format, the last big event of the old format. And that was won by Gary Campbell playing, like, a Blood Moon Stompy deck, which, like, Mono Red Prison, it, it kind of is what it is, right? If you get the right matchups... I think you you can tear through a field, right? Yeah, but like that deck was also just really good, right? Yeah. Like the everybody was picking up Checkpile. A lot of Miracles players were moving either over to Checkpile or Grixis Delver or whatever, right? So like mono red Blood Moon stuff lost a lot of its like natural predators. Uh, you know, Lands was like gaining popularity because it had seen like an abnormal amount of success on the SDG circuit and the team events. And the Blood Moon deck, like, was very miserable for Delver to play against. Like, it was a winnable matchup. But, like, one bad draw, one slip up, and you were just done. Yeah, and I think that that top eight was, like, three Grixis Delvers, uh, two pile decks, effectively pile decks, and like a, a dredge and a steel stompy deck. Which seems like the meta that they're trying to attack. Yeah, exactly. Like Yeah, you know, people adapting, which is good. No no sneak and show, no death and taxes, no tests, you know, turn one combo decks. Like it was it was basically just this three to four color Grixis ish meta. Yep. So that was 1,200 players. And then the ban came along. Post-ban, less trap and more robberies. We had uh, Grand Prix Richmond, which was like two months after the ban. And Tom, you actually went to that Grand Prix. And there were only 842 players at Richmond, which happened for a variety of reasons. I think that was a holiday weekend, right? Yeah, it it was... Labor Day weekend, it was the double Grand Prix, and both events were were not very well attended. There were it was in the eight hundreds with a standard Grand Prix as well. So just nobody really decided to show up, mostly because of the timing. I, I don't really think that that attendance had anything to do with the bannings. Yeah, I agree. I also heard people uh, take issue with the location as well. I haven't been to Richmond. Uh, I've heard that it's just kind of not the best place for tournaments. Plus, you know, having a double GP that far on the East Coast can be an issue, I guess. 
Yeah, and I, I think when you're looking at a lot of the people who play Magic, that many of them are college age, and having it sort of on the long weekend where they're moving in and getting settled into school, or legacy players who have kids going to college, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't a great weekend timing-wise. I ended up getting to stay with my wife's family down there, which was great to, to have a place to stay, but I was kind of detached from all of the friends that I had that traveled down because I was staying with her family. Yeah, and it was like, I feel like I can name a hundred of the 800 people that were there that weekend. It, does Richmond have an airport? It's gotta, right? I, I drove down, but I'm assuming it has an airport. Yeah, I just remember looking at flights and thinking like, oh shit, should I fly into this city? It was kind of like Louisville was, uh, to be honest, where you could fly there direct, but you could also fly to like Cincinnati or something and rent a car. Like it seemed not as bad as Roanoke in terms of like not being the central city in its area, mm-hmm. but pretty close to that concept where like it was just really inconvenient place to go to. Unlike like say like in Atlanta, like somewhere that was a hub for an airport. But that's neither here nor there. I do think that the the low attendance was not necessarily the band, not necessarily the format, more just unfortunate weekend, unfortunate location, that sort of thing. Agreed. So Cunha won that on Miracles, and that was Grand Prix Reed Duke, if we, if you recall. So we saw a lot of Grixis, or a lot of Pile, I guess you would call it, Grixis Control. Uh, post-Pile, maybe, I don't know. But that was uh, that really diverse top eight. Yeah, that was really the tournament where Shadow just sort of got wrecked. Where it had a big target on its head and many, many people decided to make sure that they brought a deck that could beat Shadow. Yeah, you're right. I skipped the Pro Tour. I'm sorry about that. but So the thing about... Uh, well, first of all, like this top eight has two miracles and then like Joe Lissette, like stone blade cavern of souls pile deck level one thinking is that death shadow isn't good against swords of plowshares the deck still found ways around it but like that's that's very true like the miracles versus death shadow matchup is it's kind of disgusting um because everything in miracles is just good against everything that death shadow is doing um i imagine the stone blade dynamic is very much the same the other thing is, like, remember when Eldrazi first popped up and nobody had any idea how to play around, play against it and just, like, got destroyed by, like, Chalice and the Thought Nazir? And then, like, sometime around GP Columbus, people realized how to play against Eldrazi and then the deck just, like, tanked in popularity. I think Shadow had a very similar, like, has a very similar dynamic going on. Where like the deck was very good at the Pro Tour because people didn't quite know what was going on, and you know when people think of Delver, they think of Rug Delver, and like I, it's very interesting to see how people don't break that mindset of how to play against a Delver deck, even though we've had multiple different Delver decks that play differently, and Shadow just like is again, it's like Rick's Delver, it's very punishing against making misplays that's more or less what i was getting at the deck just like people solved the matchup basically and uh once once the matchup was solved the deck seemed very exploitable i guess 
Yeah, I would co-sign that for sure. I felt like that deck was just ripe to be fucked. Oh, yeah. Like, Death Shadow as a legacy deck has been around for years. Um, there's like an old Star City feature match where some guy is playing it. And it's just like not a deck that ever really caught on. And I think that the Pro Tour was just like a good time to like dredge up this old piece of tech uh, that nobody was really thinking about. And it's so weird because Gataxian Probe got banned and that's like card zero in a Death Shadow list prior to the ban. So I think that people especially weren't expecting it for that reason. Well, Lawrence, Lawrence talked about how Probe just gave that ability to work around your opponent's plan for the entire game. And that deck playing four Thoughtseize, obviously it doesn't cost zero mana, but it allows you to do the same thing. Yeah, true. Yeah, that, yep, that is the only like four Thoughtseize deck other than, I guess, Ant or Tess at the time. Yeah. So that's another good point. Also, the addition of Reanimate, that was, that was actually a new tech, and I think the Reanimates were like really good. Like that's... That was like really good innovation on uh, part of Josh Shutter Layton, uh, just realizing that you can have this random card in your deck that can produce a threat with your Street Wraiths or buy back Gurmag Anglers or Death Shadows in the late game. So like your quote unquote low threat count um, gets stretched out, but you can also just like snatch your opponent's threats or like Thoughtseize reanimate your opponent's Palace Jailer, something you know nutty like that. So looking at this top eight right now, or I guess, you know what, let's do Shizoka first. So we also had just a couple weeks ago, Grand Prix Shizoka that happened in Japan. That was won by uh, Tetsuo Kazume playing uh, Eldrazi Aggro. And this was, we discussed this for quite a while. This was a very interesting metagame because it seemed like they totally moved off Grixis control. Um... I think there was two Grixis Control in the top eight. Yeah, there are two Grixis Control in the top eight, but this GP very much was kind of that dynamic. I, I've been feeling like Legacy is employed of like blue control versus anti-blue control, right? Like the the top eight is red-green lands that has a main deck Pyroblast, sideboard Pyroblast, double choke, and double Thoughtseize, red prison and one or two Eldrazi decks. It has an Eldrazi deck that has Oblivion Sower, and then also copies of Grim Monolith and main deck Thorn of Amethyst, which is just like a very aggressive metagame call, right? Um, and and main deck Wastes, yes. which you don't usually see in Eldrazi lists like that. Right, three Wastes. Like, this was, they obviously looked at the format and went, all right, there are people playing Hymn to Turok and people playing Back to Basics. What what beats that? Playing a Thought Knots here on turn two, but also just having Grim Monolith to play around all these Blood Moons and Back to Basics or whatever. Yeah, an Assassin's Trophy, too. That came into the meta, and that, that's a part of playing Wastes. Yeah, did did that card come into the meta? Yeah, that was like one of the first tournaments with it. I mean, it, only an aggro loam, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it definitely did, because there were the red-blue Delver decks that really made a push. If you took a look at like the day two metagame breakdown and risk factor was in a lot of those. I think Assassin's Trophies actually mean more of a more of an impact in the, the depths decks. Uh yeah. 
just because it's like a better catch-all than abrupt decay or like the whole pith and needle plan because it gives them a way to like interact with wasteland and like force that action uh which is pretty cool yeah it's a scary card out of that deck yeah it's tough too because you can't just put meddling mage on abrupt decay anymore because a lot of times they're splitting like three you know post board they'll have like three trophies and one or two decays so they're actually like more uh diverse to hate now yeah the the depths decks have evolved in a really interesting way right like they're like half and half like the stock turbo depths concept but then they also just have like dark confidant bitter blossom and like random sylvan libraries or whatever so they're like half jund half combo so it, it's just really interesting to see how they've adapted yeah, it's tough. Like you, you keep hands sometimes against them. Like you'll have like a pithing needle, and you'll think, okay, this is great, and you'll get Thoughtseize turn one, and they won't even take the needle. They'll take like a push from you, and you'll be like, okay, it's gonna be that kind of game. They're just jamming like turn turn one or turn two death right, turn three death. Uh, excuse me, dark confidant, and they just grind you out in a card advantage way. You know, it's a very versatile deck actually. Yeah, I think the best thing that the new lists have going for them is like the strain they put on sideboarding. Like, before when you sideboarded against Depths, it was like, oh, I can cut all of this random spot removal that doesn't interact with Merit Lage, or, you know, maybe I'll keep a little bit for, like, a Dryad Arbor or what have you. Now it's like, okay, well, I need all my spot removal for Bob. Uh, they're going to have, like, Better Blossom, maybe, so if you're a deck with Sweepers, you want that, possibly. Uh, they're going to have Discard, so you want Fluster Storm. You may want, like, naturalize effects for Sylvan Library or what have you. Like, the deck just pulls you in so many ways during sideboarding. And then they also have, like, Liliana the Last Hope now. So it's just, like, it's it's kind of just a nightmare to play against in a way. Yeah, I contend that that deck should probably be Tier 1, but people just don't enjoy playing it or, or feel like they should be playing it. They want to play Brainstorm decks, really. Yeah, I think that that deck has all the tools needed to to be considered a tier one deck. Well, that deck can be a brainstorm deck if you play the bug version of it. And I know in a few of the other discords that I'm in, other than ours, there are a lot of people that are really high on the bug depths list. Yeah, the three thousand IQ Tom Hep. <laughs> oh man, the one of stifle. I love his one of stifle pretty sweet i i don't know i've actually never played against that deck online somehow i do i do fear it though yeah i think it has a main deck flusterstorm as well right now tom's just on the one of main deck stifle but i wouldn't be surprised if he also had flusterstorms uh, in previous iterations he has three in the sideboard but like the list is just sweet it's it's so sweet being able to do like weird things like turn one, play your Mox Diamond, brainstorm, and then like shuffle your deck with a crop rotation, and then like turn two combo someone is just like so nutty. Yeah, I feel like Mox Diamond was a tremendous innovation in that deck too. That I don't think we saw really until when? When was it that we first saw that Box Diamond list do well? Turn a weekend, I feel. Uh, probably. I know. Um dave long played like the more turbo list for a bit and now he's on the 
the medium speed depths. But I think Tom may be the only person who's really true to the whole like mock diamond more like turbo out my 2020 as opposed to play like the weird half jun game so we also we kind of skipped over the pro tour which happened uh in the dead of summer i think it was august and we actually saw two death and taxes decks uh make the elimination rounds in the pro tour which i think was kind of a fluke right i mean um going into the pro tour we all we thought that Sneak and Show was a tier one deck at that point in time. Uh, nobody was really expecting Death Shadow, I guess, unless you had like a read on the teams in the tournament. So I feel like it was kind of a, a rogue pick to show up as hard as it did. Well, if you think Sneak and Show is going to be one of the better decks, Death and Taxes seems like the natural counter to it. But I, I don't think a lot of people really had a clear idea of what they wanted to do in the Legacy seat. Like there's a guy... Uh, playing like think twice in miracles um which, i didn't know that yeah I, I can't remember his name i i did play against him at one point think but, twice man what the fuck he just he just wasn't onto your tech huh he's not not a follower on twitter apparently <laughs> well i wasn't blasting people with the AK knowledge at that point um <laughs> but again like i there were there were a lot of pro teams that just like randomly decided to play black red reanimator uh, I think Jarvis, you played Black Red at that Pro Tour. He did. There were there were a lot of people that were working with Landon, Lucas Esper Buter, uh I can't Berto. I can't remember his last name. Yeah, yeah. Um, he played Black Red. Jarvis played Black Red. There was a there was a bunch of posts on Reddit right after the Pro Tour about the testing and deck selection, and a lot of the pros sort of looked at Landon's results, worked with him a little bit, and decided to bring Black Red. And you had said earlier about Landon was the only person who was just like sort of showing this mastery of success with the deck. I think that there were some pretty successful people at that pro tour with that deck. Uh, I I honestly don't remember the stats uh, for how well that deck did. Um, But honestly, it was a team pro tour, so it was all convoluted anyway. Yeah. Like, the team events make data hard to extrapolate because they don't post the individual records of each person. But also, like, I think a lot of people hit the same, like, wall when it came to came to that Pro Tour where, like, they were either testing Grixis Delver or testing Checkpile. And then it was like, oh, shit, I have a month to relearn Legacy. And I haven't played any other deck. What am I going to do? So I think a lot of people just, like, quickly grasp for straws um i remember talking to oliver tomiko about the format and you know he was pretty pretty in on check pile um before the ban and then i think he was actually the one of the first people to play death shadow he played it at like a team scg um i think him noah walker and i think ben friedman worked on a grixis variant of the deck before channel fireball took their list and streamlined it to just blue black that's a fun yeah team. well raptor raptor actually played shadow just straight blue black shadow at the legacy grand prix in vegas that was like that was a few years before yeah i remember that it was it was right when death shadow was becoming popular in uh in modern right and 
I think he like started off okay and then like ended six three or something on day one, something like that. Yep, I think he was he was like six and zero or seven and zero playing in the feature match. I I remember watching day one and seeing that. Yeah, it's crazy how that deck just all of a sudden took off. Is is Oliver a Ohio guy, Lawrence? Tomiko? No, he's um. Where's Oliver? I think he's out of like the East Coast. Okay, I I think because he did well at Grand Prix Columbus, I had like this Ohio tag on him. Oliver Tomiko? Did he? Yeah. I played him when he was like twelve or thirteen. I think he had already won like the Yu-Gi-Oh Junior Nationals or whatever it was, but he was playing Magic, and I remember actually having a conversation with him where he was like, you're one of the only people who I've played today who like treated me like a regular person because he was 12 or 13 years old sitting down against a bunch of adults. Yeah. Um... I think he was playing like Infect, at Grand Prix Columbus and did really well in 2016 and of 2016. Are you sure you're talking about the right little kid? No. Because there was I'm, there I'm, was the other little kid that won it playing in fact. Yeah, Clay yeah, Speckelmeyer. I'm definitely talking about Clay Speckelmeyer. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering yeah. about. Um, I might be. <laughs> trying to like look up Oliver's results. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> might be. I'm, I'm ageist apparently. So yeah, let's cut that. Do we have to? No, it's fine. <laughs> it's a new year, man. Nobody cares. It's 2019. We have to have listeners to make cuts worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I took a look today at the uh, the legacy subreddit, MTG Legacy, to see what like the top posts were for 2018. Really to see if I was forgetting anything that happened in 2018 that like, you know, big news, something I forgot. And of course, it's fucking Reddit. So the top posts are like arts and crafts and story time bullshit. But I decided to zero in on the single card discussion sort of posts. And in the year 2018, the single card discussion with the most upvotes was Night of Autumn, followed by Spellseeker. Mistcaller, which if you're not familiar, Mistcaller is a 1-1 Merfolk of the Pearl Trident from M19. You can sacrifice to prevent creatures from entering the battlefield, non-token creatures from entering the battlefield illegitimately for the turn. Uh, Arena Rector, Eureka Tiger Shadow, Unmoored Ego, and Brightling. Those are the top seven single card discussions for, for 2018. So just looking at that list... You would think that basically nothing had an impact on Legacy, right? In 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 the year twenty eighteen, no no new card burning had a big impact on Legacy. Uh, Night of Autumn had a decent impact. Assassin's Trophy, we kind of discussed that. Um, Brightling was insane for like two weeks when everybody was playing Lord Delver because it just can't beat that card. And I think Phil Gallagher was like playing double Brightling main and one in the sideboard, and there were like Death and Taxes players who were cutting Battersolves from their lists because they were just playing more Brightlings and then would like have supplemental swords or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, it definitely had some hype, no doubt. Brightling definitely got some burn. 
whether it was deserved or not, that's another story. It kind of died off at the Pro Tour. Honestly, it was like getting to be two to three of before the Pro Tour, and then it just kind of died. But the other cards rounding out that list were Goblin Crater Maker, which I feel like is a deserved spot on the list. Mm-hmm. Wet Wet Ball is ninth. Amulet of Safekeeping, which I had to look up because I have no fucking idea what that even is. I'm totally not googling that card right now. It it gives creature tokens minus one minus zero. It's one of these ham fisted designs similar to uh, oh it's Sphere. oh it's the it's the card that people thought was gonna kill like modern storm because it cuts off like empty the warrants or something. Yeah, what's the other ability? It gives creature tokens minus one minus zero and does something else, right? The other line of text is uh, whenever you become the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless it pay unless they pay an additional one. So people thought it was like, oh, this one card is going to stop all of the storm wind cons. So Lawrence, you play modern. Was that a card in modern? <sighs> I mean, I just had to look the card up, so... <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, no, um, the issue with this card is the same issue as Dampening Sphere, right? Like, it's not like Sphere of Resistance or Chalice of the Void, where it actively stops the combo player from cantripping for their answer for it. Yeah. So, like, if you're not... You're tapping two mana to not actually impede them. Uh, like, the card is basically just a ley line of sanctity, right? And we've all watched yeah. Storm players just destroy Leyline of Sanctity. Like, it's it's the same dynamic of this doesn't interact with their game plan. It doesn't slow them down at all. Uh, you're basically just spending two mana to discard a card, and like, you're basically time walking yourself. Like, but fortunately for us, this is a case of Reddit being full of lemmings and idiots because there were quite a few cards that impacted Legacy. Uh, just to name name a few, I put uh, Assassin's Trophy, Arclight Phoenix, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, which I didn't see a Reddit post at all for, by the way. Legion Warboss, Karn Sign of Urza, Risk Factor, Arcane Artisan, Antiquities War, Trash Master, Mission Briefing, Psy Master Thopterist, Experimental Frenzy, Chain Whirler, Creeping Chill, and Dire Fleet Daredevil. Those are all cards that I've seen either winning challenges in the top eights of legacy grand prix or you know showing up in significant numbers in like a tier two deck at the very where least. where have you seen daredevil in like a blue or in a white red taxes build yeah so that that was okay yep exactly and that was actually pre-ban was like the white red taxes build was where it was popular yeah i remember bara testing it and like getting to brainstorm with death and taxes, and it was just the most disgusting thing ever. It was really good, and I had two of them resolve against me off files in Seattle, where they just cast Brainstorm, and then it was awkward, because, like, how did they shuffle, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, a lot of interesting cards. Legion Warboss, I feel like, was a huge upgrade for the Blood Moon decks. Uh, Arclight Phoenix is just, like, an archetype in and of itself. Yeah, that I think I think white faces and, and maybe it wasn't white faces and I just saw white faces Twitter post about it. But the buried alive Arclight Phoenix deck looked like it was very interesting. And I'm I'm still wondering whether or not a graveyard deck like that if it's not just a worse version of something like Black Red, but I guess it's a little bit more resilient to surgical extraction because you get to play 
Pyromancer and some other things along to go along with it. I've played the deck. Uh, it's really interesting. Like, game one, you kind of just, like, mushroom stamp your opponent, basically. Like, <laughs> they, you find some random window to just go, like, turn... You can do, like, turn two, ponder, dark rip, burial alive, and, like, just put your opponent dead, basically. And then, like, they board in a bunch of grave hate, and your post-board game plan is, like, really in on, like, young Pyromancer or... Liliana the Last Hope, but you'll often like Thing in the Ice even. Yeah, Thing in the Ice sometimes, or you'll just cast Phoenix. Like you'll just dark it out of Phoenix because your opponent is like sitting there with surgical extraction or Tormod's Crypt or whatever, or like they have a ley line of the void, and you're just like, Yeah, I can just be like this really mediocre, like Grixis mid-range deck. Um Callum's still working on ideas. He was the one, White Faces uh is the Twitter account. Um he's the one who came up with the idea or like really was working on it and he's just been like really hammering out ideas i think he tested jace friend's prodigy at one point um there was a list with a couple bolts and he's been trying out different configurations uh it feels like the deck is still missing something but at this rate i think you know he'll eventually solve like how to really get the deck where it wants to be it's interesting because I've actually gotten smoked by it two times in leagues, and both times I thought I was playing against Show and Tell because they go like Basic Island Preordain into like Scalding Tarn Pass, Scalding Tarn Pass, and then cast an Intuition. And this is like the blue red build, right? This isn't exactly uh, Callum's build with like the Dark Rituals, but the Intuition, and then I see Arc Light Phoenix, I'm like, oh fuck, because I'm getting ready to fight the Show and Tell War. And just not ready for this deck at all. Like I, I, I don't know why I'd never see it coming, but I've, I've just gotten blown out by it twice now, just not expecting it. And it does kind of strike like a different chord than a lot of other decks right now. Yeah, the deck, the deck definitely does some weird things. Um, like the interact, the deck abuses Cabal Therapy really hard. Uh, like you can go off with your Phoenixes, and then like the next turn, just Cabal Therapy shred your opponent's hand, and then get them all back. Or, like, I've had games where I've had to, like, play Pyromancer, therapy my opponent, therapy myself to get a bunch of Phoenixes out of my hand and, like, cast the spell and then, like, kill them that way. It's, it's really interesting. So how have your results been with the deck? Um, my results have been just okay. I've only played a couple leagues with it. Um, I know Callum and Jarvis had some solid results. I think they're averaging about three to four wins per league. Um, I think Callum has a 5-0 or two with it, though. Uh, I did notice that it is on Goldfish already, so... What's his... Mo is his moto name Whitefaces? Yeah. He, um... So, Callum and actually uh, Landon were two people who I was super active with when I was playing Bant. And just to see those those guys doing amazing in the new format it's good to see yeah Callum's just really good at magic yeah the, there are two five o's posted one of them is a uh, gold ducat or daniel goshel and the other one is Callum. and i guess daniel also played the deck in a challenge that's kind of cool nice so yeah th that deck is really like sort of an archetype arch archetype of its own it's kind of like porting that uh, Hollow One Bloodgast feel into Legacy without actually being that same deck, like that Faithless Looting Dredge kind of deck. 
it's sort of in the same space, but not like a deck that we necessarily had before, right? Like the closest thing I'd say that we had was like a Zombardment list, maybe. Yeah, it seems seems like a like a. It's very similar to like a Vengevine list, only instead of dumping Vengevines and casting creatures, you get to further shape your hand and get all of your Phoenixes back. You get to have like not a bad combo matchup, basically, because you have you know four Thoughtseize, two Collective Brutality, four Cabal Therapy, right? So you can really just brutalize the combo deck. So is this the new Death Shadow then? Uh, I don't know about that. We'll see. Uh, it seems I, like it's meta space. It feels like that this might be the deck that sort of sits on combo. I think I don't think this deck sits on combo. Um, it just has enough disruption and like a randomly fast enough clock where you can you can win the combo matchups like. There are there are a decent number of games where you're kind of in the position of well I'm gonna put nine damage on board and put you on a two turn clock and you have to kill me now basically or you know you may get like one thought seize off and then go for your combo and just hope right um, so it's not as it's not as the deck isn't as coherent as Death Shadow was when it first popped up um, but I I want to see it get there uh, definitely. It's it's just a really interesting deck, and I recommend trying it. It's it's a really it's a fun puzzle. Um, like there's a lot of situations where you're just supposed to like do nothing. You know, you may have like a preordain in hand and like you know want to cast it, but it may be better to wait the next turn because if you draw buried alive or dark ritual, you want to preordain for the other half of you know, that mini combo and go from there, or you may draw a young pyromancer. Like the deck is very uh interested in you slow rolling your spells uh for like an explosive profit a turn or two later. Which is which is interesting because that's not really how a lot of legacy decks function, right? There's usually a lot of micro decisions or uh small game actions that you're making and just kind of decisions that go from there. Uh, in order to like have everything add up, but this deck is it's it's kind of like a more convoluted show and tell esque idea, where you're just like really trying to crush your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very well put. And one of these cards, I don't, I haven't actually played this deck at all. By the way, I'm five beers deep, so I'm getting in the hole right now. We've we've talked quite a bit. Yeah, man. I've had to keep my keep my lips wet. Live your so best I'm gonna life. Start slur- I'm going to start slurring my words pretty soon. But uh, the Antiquities War. This is a deck that I had not played at all, but I played against quite a bit. Do you think that this deck was just like people fucking around? Do you think that there's something real there? Uh, the story. The story that I heard was that people were trying to break it for the Pro Tour, and we started to see those lists pop up online a little bit before and a little bit after. Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure if it still has legs going forward. I think that Steel Stompy is probably a slightly better place to be in that sort of artifact field if you want to go that way. Dude, I got I fucking smoked by Max playing that deck the other day. That deck the is still steel, brutal. The steel stompy list? That deck is still fucking brutal. Yeah, Max Max posted that he was close to 75% with it over his last 30 or 40 matches. 
on Twitter. Yeah, Max loves that deck. I I look at it and I'm I feel like it's kind of just a more convoluted Eldrazi deck. Like yeah, I I chose to play Eldrazi over that um pretty pretty quickly, but there are some people that are really doing well with it. Yeah, like Eldrazi just feels like A plus B, whereas like this deck needs to also get like a Ravager plus a Walking Blister plus like you know a Steel Overseer. Like I, it feels like you're kind of adding a lot more pieces into um into the mix that don't necessarily need to be there but people keep doing well with it so that's cool yeah there's some there's some weird affinity shit with like mishra's factory and artbound ravager and steel overseer where you're like they'll mold a six and you're just like am i fucked three ways here like is there anything i can do to not just eat shit on turn four and like this, I don't know, man. With especially with Walking Ballista, this deck just seems to run through like Delver decks that I'm playing. I've never had enough time to actually work on it, but I so, so want to put together a shell that abuses Guy's Cradle in an affinity list. So, just being able to use that to power out early chalices and thorns or ballistas, even just seems like it could be awesome. Would you be playing like Ornithopters and stuff, like? So that's, that's like, the problem, right? Like, if you want to play Gaia's Cradle to get that big mana boost, you want to play Zeros. So I'm not sure if I would play Ornithopter. I think those lists would have to have to include something. I'm just not sure what the split is. So I'm not going to blame this on the beer at all, but if you play, like, a, a Walking Ballista on Zero, is there a window where you can tap a Cradle for two? Because There is not. Okay. I'm blaming that on the beer. Like, Memnite is, like probably the floor that i'm willing to go to to try and get that idea to work but the issue is like it's so bad right <laughs> <laughs> yeah memnite memnite is not optimal it is definitely not optimal but you get to play free tombs and city of traders and mox opal so right so you, you still have 12 chances of hitting that that turn to chalice turn turn one two mana chalice right yeah the the issue is that you're just overall decreasing the inherent value of each of your draw steps rate. Like, I'm looking at the 12th place list from GP Shizuka, um, and, like, they have four Lotus Petals in their list, which, you know, it helps with the explosive start, but it's going to be a very poor top deck. Like, that's that's one of my issues with Steel Stompy. Like, a lot of your cards can, like, wildly vary how impactful they are based on the game state. Um Whereas Zeldrazi, it's just, like, all of your cards do the same thing. The most variance you're going to get is, like, drawing an Eldrazi Mimic on turn 5. But even, like, a, an Endless one just scales up as the game goes. Um, though one piece of hot tech is this list has Throne of the High City, which is just a colorless land that taps for, like, a, a waste mana or whatever. But it's 4 mana and sack it, and you become the Monarch, which is just kind of cool. Like... Yeah, that card is awesome. I, I, I spec on a lot of those cards. It never worked out, but... Yeah, I think the affinity list that I was sort of talking about would just more consistently be able to power out an early Lodestone. And the versions that I was thinking of, thinking about had like a, like a light blue splash, so you would be able to... Um, uh, fuck, what's the affinity draw spell? Uh, Thoughtfire. Thoughtcast? Thoughtcast had thought cast to sort of try to play the refuel game to go to go a little bit longer but i've never actually played a game with it 
I I think I just got ranched by a, a guy's cradle affinity list at Grand Prix Jersey. It was my only loss in day one. And from that moment on, I was just like, I was set on making it happen. Yeah. So how would you, how do you get the blue? Do you play Seed of the Synod? You get to play Seed of the Synod plus, uh, plus it was playing Mox, uh, not Chrome Mox. Mox uh, Opal. Mox Opal. And it actually had a Mox Diamond in it as well. Okay. Yeah, no, it that wasn't makes sense. a four of Mox Diamond, but it had some number of Mox Diamond. Too. You're playing City of Traders. That's kind of free. I I've played against Hardened Scales Affinity in Legacy. The list didn't look that coherent, but I don't know if you've ever played the card Ancient Stereos. Uh But the card's fucked. Um, I could see maybe going the route of like Gaius Cradle Ancient Stirrings, um, Hardened Scales or whatever, because I like the sound of that because like. You get to still abuse like the hangerback walker, walking ballista thing, even more so per se. Um, but then you don't necessarily need to play like ornithopters or whatever uh, to really get that going. You can use uh, artbound worker, which you know isn't the most impressive card, but at least it plays into your synergy game with everything else, uh, which is possibly a worker i remember that from modern masters but i can't remember which card it is it's a one one for one with um with modular modular yeah that's the mechanic gotcha so, i don't know that's that's just something to think about uh brewing and legacy is interesting um it's very yeah. hard to come up with an idea that isn't just worse version of an established deck yep yeah it's tough it's tough to to think about trying to play hardened scales and stirrings if you want to play chalice and i think a main draw to a deck like that would be able to jam a turn one chalice yeah true i wasn't even thinking about chalice yeah but stirrings stirrings is a broken card like not broken for legacy but i won in open with that and if i can win in open with a card it's got to be way too fucking good in the format <laughs> so do you think you'll ever so win an open with mission briefing uh no i would have to play mission briefing first so is that a downvote from you for mission briefing uh i mean no i'm sure there have been people that have done extremely well with it i have still not put it in a deck and lately i've been sort of sort of staying away from the types of decks that would want to play that and maybe it's just like my not having as much time to play Legacy and choosing some decks that I feel like I can pilot a little bit with a little bit less practice. No, that makes sense. Uh, shout out to Marcus Awalt. I'm pretty sure he's the only person playing Mission Briefing in Legacy, but he's also the only person playing High Tide in Legacy. And uh, that guy found his brand and, you know, he's living it. <laughs> yeah, like every... that's Truckus, That's Truckus, right? Yeah, every deck. Was he playing Pearl Lake ancient in his sideboard did i see that uh I, i'm in a group chat with him i haven't seen a pearl lake ancient list uh but it's marcus so i'm he not gonna just blue it. with three u's man oh exactly but i wouldn't be shocked if he's playing pearl lake ancient what the what the fuck is pearl i'll ask what is pearl lake ancient you don't know about uh what cons of Tarkir standard control deck staple Pearl Link Ancient? 
Does it look like an uncircumcised penis? Yes. I think I know. I can picture the art. But I don't know. <laughs> um, it's a. It's like a seven-drop flash creature uh, that has prowess, and then you can bounce three islands to your hand to return Pearl Link Ancient to your hand, or bounce three lands. Uh, I I don't know. I haven't seen Marcus play it. I wouldn't be shocked, but he usually tends to lean towards Thing in the Ice as his go-to like non-monastery mentor sideboard blue creature uh, to just like get people with. Yeah, uh, Thing in the Ice seems like it would be way better. I just, I can't remember where I saw that in High Tide. And when I saw somebody talk about that, I immediately thought that it must have been Truckus. Yeah, the list that he posted in the High Tide group uh, on the 23rd uh, doesn't have a Pearl Lake Ancient, but it does have four Devastation Tide. So that's hot. Oh, I know what that card is. You know. That's a good one. Marcus can't get away from casting Miracles no matter what he does. <laughs> so yeah other cards that have will have a lasting impact i think karn sign of urza is here to stay right oh yeah that... okay so i would like to respond was the one that had pearl like ancient in the sideboard that's that's marcus <laughs> oh okay <laughs> that's marcus's all yeah never mind oh shit <laughs> so we cracked the stasis case then Oh shit! Is that is that Stasis man? He's he's a dude who's been playing Stasis ah. in blue, white, blue, red, trying to Stasis, trying to five zero with every Stasis deck. Look, if you see some unplayable blue deck that has about thirty draw spells in it, <laughs> um, it's Marcus. Just that's awesome. Like all of his deck lists start with twelve cantrips, some number of accumulated knowledge and predict. Right now he's on a mission briefing kick, so he's playing two to four of that. Um, <laughs> And he's just out here playing Pearl Lake Ancient, which is, that's wonderful, honestly. Like, That's amazing. Just high tied out of Pearl Lake Ancient on turn four or whatever. Turn four or five, I guess. It's basically like a legacy legal gush, right? Um, yeah, well, like, it can't be countered, and nobody is going to leave in creature removal against high tide, right? Right. So, it... Like, it also, like, dodges Red Blast enough, I guess. Or, like, his deck always plays, um, you know, a stack of counter magic, Flusterstorms, and whatever. So, like, he can protect it from, like, a Red Blast pretty easily. That's pretty sick, man. So, what about Psymaster Thopterus? Have any of you guys swung on that one? I have not seen Psy in Legacy. I've seen it in, like, that uh, Tesserator list. Like, you know that, like, uh, Chalice, Tesserator, Transmute Artifact kind of deck? Yeah, isn't that the same... Isn't that the Antiquities War deck, or is there a different Tesserator? Well, there's, show? like... There's, like, a Grixis... Pris, like, a Grixis or Black-Blue prison version that's, like, a little bit more mid-range that I've seen play Psy. But I, I think that that deck was probably just better before i'm not sure what what side gives it you know what i mean yeah i like i like psy and like modern kci it makes sense there's like a a backup plan that sidesteps all of the hate and everything but i don't know if the tesserator lists are really playing uh ironically enough i'm not sure if they're playing enough artifacts to like really make psy insane as opposed to just like another thing they can play um 
Yeah, it's tough, like, because that deck was playing Trinisphere, and it's tough to get a ton of value off of Psy if you if there's a Trinisphere in play. Trinisphere is an artifact that you can sack to Psy. Yeah, I guess that is that is true. That is true. So, so yeah, the big stories in Legacy this year, in my opinion, after the ban, and after the, the two sets, I think Dominaria and GRN had, like, a, a big impact on the post death right metagame. I don't think really anything shook it up pre death right or pre ban metagame, but post ban, I think the big stories are really that first of all, Commander 2018 did basically nothing for Legacy. I'm happy about that. Really? I'm really happy about that. I was so sick of Wizards just shoving design mistakes into Legacy via Commander sets. Like it started with True Name. It like, the, the timelines on it was always terrible, right? True Name was print was released into the public the day before <laughs> like, the GP. Yep. Uh, what, what card was in the... The same thing happened for GP Columbus. I can't remember what card it was. But, like, it was always... The, oh, Leovold, right? Leovold, yeah. No, Leovold yeah. wasn't around for Columbus. No. Oh, my bad. Leovold was after... Was it, uh... I know New Jersey was Containment Priest. Yeah, New Jersey was Containment Priest. Um, Baleful Strix came along at some point, right? That was in Plane Chase. I think that was that was a little bit... That was before the Commander decks were around, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Well, Flusterstorm was probably the original Commander card, right? Yeah, well, Flusterstorm and Scavenging Ooze. That was in the first batch of Commander decks. Oh, Scavenging Ooze, too. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, Scavenging Ooze was the same year as Flusterstorm. Scavenging Ooze came out and it was a $40 card. Then they ended up reprinting it in M whatever they reprinted it in. But uh but yeah. I I miss it. I like Wizards releasing playable cards in Commander just to shake up the format a little bit. And yes, I I agree that True Name was not the best designed card, but that I love that card. I still love that card. I, I'm fine with them printing playable cards into Legacy via Commander. Like, it makes sense to do so. Uh, I just was very frustrated with their tendency to make cards that just didn't need to really exist and then throw them into Legacy. Yep. I have I have a stack of 100 from the Ashes that are that are sitting in a box right now. So if anybody can break that card... I would be greatly appreciative. That card hasn't really been playable since Top got banned. Yeah, it was in. It was like in the sideboard of Top Miracles to fight against Eldrazi and lands. Oh my god! And then it just nobody has ever played it since. I love From the Ashes so much. The issue is that card makes you play a basic mountain, and without Top, it's kind of hard to like justify the basic mountain because like before, um, you could just spend Top off of it. Like, was it? I I Top aided an a classic with a terrible Miracles mana base that had a main deck mountain. And I would just jokingly tell people, well, I can just predict it away. Um, but they used my deck list for a versus video. <laughs> and, and the mountain just like kept screwing um, Michael Majors over. And it was just like the best <laughs> thing to watch. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I feel like they got into a cycle of like printing ridiculous cards in commander and then printing answers for those ridiculous cards in commander and it, I, I don't think it was particularly healthy either especially because of the 
supply glut that you'd have where like Tom, you mentioned on an earlier episode that True Name Nemesis was like a eighty dollar card heading into some Grand Prix, right? It it was a hundred heading into Grand Prix DC. That was the first Legacy Grand Prix that I played in, and I was lucky to be running Legacy at a local shop, and I had access to picking up four of the Mindseize decks when they got released. So I like I got them from work. I went down to the Grand Prix and I had the cards. But I heard stories about people who are driving down, stopping at every Walmart and Target off of the highway on the way to D.C. to try to buy the, pre- the pre-cons so they could get their true names. Bro, don't, don't tell me you weren't trying to do the same thing. No, I had them already. I just bought, I bought all the copies that came into my store. So you weren't trying to spec it all? I bought all of the copies of the Mindseize deck when they came in with all my right. employee discount. So I did I did not have to stop at the Walmart and the Targets. Like when I remember when training came out and you just like couldn't find them. Like the every everybody saw that card and was like this is fucked. So like Walmart's and Targets and wherever, they were all just sold out. Um if you were lucky to like walk in and find like any of the commanders product honestly but it specifically that one was just gone or you'd see it go- wizards did like a uh like a second wave of the commander decks and they allowed stores to order the mindsees deck specifically so like you could buy the five packs that had one of each deck but stores could also be like and in addition give me like 10 of the true name deck yeah like them printing dumb cards in legacy maybe that's less of an issue like true name as a long-standing thing hasn't been that big of a problem when it first came out the format just evolved into true name gta mirrors and it was just like the most least interesting thing to look at um but maybe just their timing you know printing printing legacy potential staples into the format and releasing them the day before a legacy gp on a fairly consistent basis is pretty terrible. That's called building hype. Building hype. <laughs> sure. So do you think Battlebound was handled better this year, would you say? Um Battlebound was handled the same way as like conspiracy, right? They just kind of like let it happen. Yep. And uh cuz I feel like that was the source for like cards that potentially could shake up legacy this year right since they they went soft on commander yeah there was like spell seeker or something in that right I, I yeah we had arcane artisan we had arena rector brightling spell seeker those are the only ones i can recall right now there might be one that i'm forgetting i'll probably hear about it but yeah that... there were all some cards we've seen right yeah that's like a reasonable impact right cards that are interesting uh, they saw play for periods. They are still seeing play for the most part. And then, like, Spellseeker sees play in, like, random vintage piles when people want to try that. Or maybe it's just, like, one guy who's doing that. I saw it in that uh, uh, Bizarro Stormy list uh, last week playing in a Legacy League. That was the first time like I'd a, ever seen like it. like a Tin Fins? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like a Tin Fins. It's like a reanimate target to to get like another spell out of your deck, I guess. It's, it's kind of a weird backdoor tutor. But I don't know whether it was good to play or not, but they were playing it. 
And it, it's axical ball therapy, so it's kind of like all parts of the buffalo kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, um, <clears throat> speaking of commander cards, shout out to Cast Dissonant Mage for just being a huge problem for tournament organizi- or- organizers. <laughs> yeah. It, they, yeah, in they should have printed. They should have printed those decks, obviously with a non-foil copy of Cast, but maybe maybe they can just release a blank proxy card now for tournament organizers to use just since they actually had to change their tournament rules because of that card like you know the the discard cards have you seen those the black cards that just have discard on them they're like the like on the test prints yeah like on the end of a sheet yep. uh there's just like a black card that just has discard in white letters they should just start printing those out that say whoops and that'll just be the official <laughs> proxies right yeah, like shout out, idea. shout out to Wizards. I got a box topper, bitter blossom, and I can already sleep under it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fix your shit. Yeah, Dude, it's so bad. I don't know what Ohio is like, but Boston, whatever the fuck our humidity is, whether it's too high or low, I don't know. But our foils are just like fucking tense. I generally avoid foils. Like I have a playset of the Japanese Rebecca guy. Uh, path to exiles but i also use dragon shield perfect cards and they like really keep cards straight i highly recommend yeah. them 100 percent, i'm on those too and that rebecca guay art is fucking sick man that path to exile that's my favorite it's great it did i did card. i read something about wizards not using her as an artist because she costs too much money or am I making that up? Uh, I posted on Twitter that I missed seeing her art in Magic, and then some dude responded, uh, or something. Uh, it was it was a pretty dumb response. Um, it's Twitter. He yeah, dude just like projected a bunch of stuff, and it was this weird tone of like, "You don't own her." It's just like I didn't say that, man. I just miss fucking watercolor and Magic. Um, Did I tell? Tom, did I ever tell you I met Rebecca Gway's personal assistant at the dog park one day? Uh, no, you did not tell me that. That's a that would that would have been a story that I would have remembered. It was fucking. It was so random. We were just like at the dog park. Our dogs were like fighting, playing, whatever. And I was like, uh, I I don't even know how it came up. They said they were from Connecticut. They said they were from Middletown, Connecticut. I was like, have you ever been to tabletop games or whatever? And they were like, uh, yeah. And they were like, have you been there? I was like, yeah, I went there for a magic tournament. They're like, do you know Rebecca Guay? I was like, yeah. They're like, we're in Boston right now because she's at PAX. So, yeah, I don't know where this story's going. I'm just pretty drunk. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I don't know, I've heard a few stories. I'm like looking on Reddit and I'm seeing people talking about how like uh, she decided to leave Wizards. I've heard Wizards was just like, we don't want this girly art in our game right now because they were trying to like really appeal to that 12 to 14 year old teen boy demographic right really um, um i've heard a bunch of stories about it i'm not really sure exactly uh what the whole ordeal is but i know they did print an unhinged unhinged card kind of referencing it persecute artist i don't know if you've ever seen it <laughs> it's a uh, black black Seriously? colorless choose an artist other than rebecca guy or gway or gay or however you pronounce it uh, target player reveals his or her hand and discards all non-land cards by the chosen artist. And then the flavor text is, the torches and pitchforks are no match for Rebecca's fans. 
<laughs> so was that that's the new onset? No, this is an old card. Um, oh, okay. This is unchanged. But um, <laughs> ironically, they actually had her do the art for it, <laughs> and it's credited <laughs> to uh, Rebecca. Don't mess with me, <laughs> Gway, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I've. I don't know. I've heard that she's charging too much now, and a bunch of other rumors. So I don't. Yeah. I don't put much stock in it. For what it's worth, her personal assistant said Rebecca Gay, but I just have like a mental block with pronouncing it that way. Like I always just said Gway, so I just keep saying Gway. Yeah. It, it's whatever. I don't know. I've heard it pronounced every different way. But yeah, it, it's a shame because I, I really appreciate that art. I like uh, Drew Tucker's art, like that that watercolor Fallen Empire shit. Like that that crazy fucking I don't even I don't know why I'm blanking on the cards right now, but like that crazy watercolor like plateau kind of shit. And Rebecca has like her own style that's like unmistakably beautiful. And that, we're we're less of a game for not having that. Yeah, there there used to be, and I don't want to talk about like old magic too much right now, but there used to be some super iconic artists like the Foglios way back in the day. How about Quentin where... Hoover, man? Yep. Well, oh. yeah, we're not we're not getting them back. <sighs> Rest in peace. Uh, I vaguely remember the Foglios. Um, wasn't it like one of them was was the guy who was really who was doing the art for Magic, and then like had some health issues or something. So like his brother started doing the art, but had it credited to him to like the other brother or something. Or am I... I didn't I didn't know that. I thought it was a husband wife because they both were credited. Like uh it was Phil and Kaha or Kaja. Um and I think they ended up leaving to work on like other games or something like that. Or Magic was like, your art is too childish, we don't want it. Yeah, and, like uh, it's all the silly shit like Gash's form and Sharazad, like anything with like a goofy smiling face. It's just like so iconic. Yeah, so, I think they did so the original weird. greed. Is that them? Mishra's Factory, Mishra's Workshop, that kind of shit. Anytime there's a goofy smile. Yeah, anyway, the reason why I brought that up was, like, the the iconic artists now are good, and the iconic artists back in the day, a lot of them were fucking wait, trash. Wait, wait, who are... No, come on, fuck that. Who are the iconic artists now besides Seb McKinnon? Like, Seb McKinnon, you, I recognize that shit as soon as I see it, but who the fuck else, right? Well, I mean, Therese, Therese is still still okay, around. Yeah, She's Therese, not doing... Therese does like one or two cards a year. Yeah, the, uh, what is it, Descendants Path? That card, that card was fucking gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, Therese, I'm sorry. I, I didn't include Therese because it seems like it's just like special jobs, like Judge Foils or like... She does stuff for random sets, but uh, like I follow a bunch of magic artists on Twitter, but I see most of their like non-magic stuff. So, like, I don't think of, like, when I think of magic artists, I do think of, like, Therese and Rebecca and um, Christopher Rush and, you know, whoever else, RK Post or what have you. Um, but, like, the newer wave of magic artists, like, I, I recognize their art, but it doesn't, like, click the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, once in a while you have, like, some guest appearance of somebody where you're like, oh, that card's really cool, but it's not, like enough of it like you know they don't have commons in every set where you get to recognize their style so like you don't you don't get attached to these people the way that like 
someone like Rebecca or like Drew Tucker or Quentin Hoover, where like you'd see a card, you'd be like, oh, that's this person. You know, I don't have that anymore. Yeah. The people, people, people talk about like Noah Bradley or Steve Argyle or something. And like, I respect their art when I see it, but I don't feel like they have their distinct styles. Oh, have you not, have you not looked at Noah's like website? Maybe not. Oh, check it out, dude. It's, it's great. Um, okay. But the, the two people I was thinking of earlier with the one person having medical issues was Tim and Greg Hildebrandt. They did the original Aether Violet. Uh, they did Quirk Clan Ironworks and the original Bridge from Below. And I guess one of them had a stroke. So his, like, they, they would get commissioned separately. And then after the stroke, um, one brother would do all of the art and then also have his brother get credited on it. That's crazy. You know, uh, Rich Shea was just telling me this week that uh, Brian Snotty had a stroke. He's the guy who did uh, Volcanic Island and a few cards you recognize from, like, old school magic. And that's why his signature is, like, a real signature if you got it signed in, like, 1994. And then it's just a smiley face if you got it signed after that with, like, a like a BS. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the his signature now. Oh, I definitely have signed Vol- Volcanic Islands. With that looked like a real signature. Oh, wow. Nice, man. Those are rare. Those are a lot more rare than the smiley face, apparently. So I, yeah. di- I did not know that. All right. So you want to move on to our last topic, which is the big one, which is the fucking the hard hitter is where we're getting our money right here. What the fuck is legacy right now? Nobody's going to say it's wide open. <laughs> 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 uh wilson hunter is just like the secret guest star of this podcast yeah, we're gonna we're gonna like just cut in him saying hello friends his neck his neck is itching like a motherfucker right now <laughs> but yeah like wh- why the fuck are we playing legacy right now honestly like what are we doing grinding these leagues like what the fuck is this shit like, uh are we, why are we playing because people like the format i guess like i think everyone gets so entangled in the concept of like playing magic to grind pro points or pptqs or whatever the fuck right people forget that ultimately they started playing magic because it's just a game that they like um so like right now the gp schedule hasn't really been released and nobody knows if there's a gp for legacy coming up this next year but that doesn't mean people are going to stop playing it like they're in the long run legacy will probably go the way of vintage where it's just like a bunch of 30 year old dudes at the kitchen's table and then like some fan organized tournaments which is fine like uh it doesn't have to be this insanely large format as long as people are just playing it you know yeah i i play legacy because i think it's the most fun or I, I feel like it's the most fun out of the formats that I have access to. And I, I actually take that back. There's a reason why I've been playing so many cube drafts. I absolutely love Vintage Cube. But Legacy is my second favorite format. I'll say that. I ironically don't really like Vintage Cube that much. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I really like underpowered cubes. So, like, uh, Peasant Cube is just, like, that's what I really like. Just like commons uncommons like there isn't like one deck just blowing the other person out of the water there's just like these really interesting games where like every pick matters uh 
like vintage keep has this air of like sometimes you draft an incoherent deck that's just explosive enough to just win over a more coherent deck which like if i want that game dynamic i'll just play vintage and it's less of a feel bad of like oh my opponent drew black lotus in their terrible deck and beat me and it's just like well i'm also playing a terrible deck right because it's vintage and there's two good decks and then everything else is terrible um yeah i i i love getting drunk playing vintage cube and talking shit to my computer I, I will admit, playing an Ashiok and just upticking it aggressively, that's, <laughs> oh my god. You haven't lived until you've just upticked an Ashiok and just watched your opponent flail about as they try to, like, get that card off the table. <laughs> so, there was this whole discussion on Twitter that was like, uh, how difficult is your modern deck to play? You know, I think Paulo uh, PV might have wrote an article about this. I didn't he, actually He had a poll for Legacy, too. Oh really? Yeah, I don't know if he wrote the article yet, but I saw on Reddit he um he had made the same poll for deck difficulty and legacy. Okay, well there was this whole thing like people saying, "Oh, I'll just play." And this is a conversation you and I have had Tom be- before, where it's like, "Oh, I just want to win. I don't care like how difficult the deck is considered." Versus this sort of like gentleman's like, "I'll only play like a brainstorm deck" sort of mentality. And that's kind of where I feel we are with with playing Legacy now, like why we're actually drawn to the format is like the the play patterns of the format, the difficulty, the lines that arise, this sort of like the gentleman's aspect of it where it's like a a more refined game. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a game that we're more used to or just a game that we enjoy the play patterns of more. I I think I get what you're saying. Like with Top and Death Ride Shaman in the format, it was just like your opponent would play a random one drop and you felt like a lot of the lines you could take or, you know, a lot of what your deck was doing was just invalidated, but there isn't really that aspect in the format right now. It's yeah, just... and as compared to, like, modern, too, or, like, standard, that th- th- there's more, like, you can play a deck and not be completely hopeless, right? Oh, yeah, modern's a dumpster fire right now. Jesus Christ. And I feel like that's why I'm playing Legacy now is because there's more, like, sort of quote-unquote gentleman's game gentle person's games where like you you like are actually playing games and your decisions matter right and they're best of three too gentle persons yeah sorry sorry um <laughs> i was looking at the pv article and i like went to the comments and like the most recent comment is someone i know and it just says you smoke crack sorry that's just incredibly juvenile and like funny to me though yeah these comments don't reflect well on people comments uh but yeah like legacy is kind of at this point where there's micro decisions but i i know like uh i can't remember the name of the podcast but they had some complaints with the format where they felt the opposite where a lot of the micro decisions had been removed from Legacy, um, which I think I think it's somewhat moving away from that, right? Like there there are the aspects of like cantripping for your outs or trying to bob and weave around what your opponent's doing, um, but there is also just like a bunch of turn two Hendrick Drogs and Chalice to the Voids. But yeah, there's there's a lot more people actually playing Chalice of the Void. And Blood Moon based decks now. Like, in previous to the top ban, 
really, Chalice was just kind of something that you wouldn't see show up that often. And now you could argue that Chalice decks are just like one of the things that you really need to be able to deal with. It's a pillar of the format. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I think, honestly, like as Magic keeps going, Legacy will become less and less of a nuanced format just by nature of card design. Um, like when a lot of people got into Legacy, it was during the days of like, you know, SCG coverage being like Stoneblade versus Rug Delver versus, uh, I guess there was like Sneak and Show or Miracles or whatever. And like it was right. And what it ultimately came down to was everyone was playing really bad underpowered decks against each other. So you had to like get your little edges to win, right? You're trying to attack somebody with Nimble Mongoose or like you're playing the four color Stoneforge Mystic deck and you're hoping that you get to equip your GTA and connect, right? Whereas now, there's just powerful shit, you know? Like, like think about Gurmag Angler as a card. Like, if that was in the Legacy metagame in 2014, right? Like, it would have just wrecked people, <laughs> which is just kind of, like, a funny thing to think about. But Gurmag Angler would have just destroyed. And, um... I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'd... So you played a lot of Vintage, right, Lawrence? I feel like I've seen you post a lot about Vintage. And what I'm kind of afraid of is that we end up in a place like Vintage where we're actually more polarized, like super polarized and moving towards that modern place where in in Vintage you have like workshops and non-workshops. And I'm worried that we're going to have Chalice and non-Chalice in Legacy. Um, so uh, I, can exp- I, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, I can explain it may take a little bit of time though um so like if you look at modern right it's like this weird turn 3.5 format where all the answer or questions are like way better than the answers so it kind of just looks like bare knuckle boxing right and you have vintage where everybody's doing overpowered shit but the the stop gaps for the overpowered shit is like insane you know if you play stony silence against paradoxical outcome their deck kind of just implodes. Uh, if you ley line of the void, dredge, uh, well, they'll probably just like tap bazaar and play hollow one and still kill you. But their deck kind of implodes. <laughs> um, and then you know shops is if you can resolve your hate spell, their deck, you know, you know something like energy flux, right? But like, just by the nature of like the restricted list and a lot of decks relying on power vintage is way swingier than legacy will ever be you know like you're not going to have a chalice the void deck in legacy that was as good as chalice the void shops was right because like in legacy it's like oh turn one chalice of the void or ancient team chalice or city of trader chalice right not here's my reusable black lotus um, play out my Moxon, play Chalice on zero, play Chalice on one, play a Sphere of Resistance, right? You're not going to have that same dynamic of you're completely, like, locked out without any hope on turn one. Uh, you'll just get demoralized. You know, the, the Storm decks aren't always going to be aiming to turn two someone. You're not going to have, like, a 
I don't think you're going to have legacy with like a main deck mind break trap dynamic, right? Uh, so I don't I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think I think there's a power cap in legacy that doesn't exist in vintage to the same degree. Uh, so it's it's just going to self piece it's everything, you know. Like if Eldrazi gets too big, more people will just play Wasteland. If Storm gets too big, people will play like Null Rod or like actual sideboard cards or whatever. There's there's more checks and balances, and it's harder for legacy decks to fight through the hate. But like, you know, you can put energy flux in your deck for workshops, but you may not resolve it, right? You can you can put Stony or you can you can play Mindbird Trap or Force of Will for the Paradoxical Storm deck, but they also get to play their own Fluster Storms and Force of Wills. So it may not matter. And that's kind of just the dynamic advantage. Like there are powerful decks, there are powerful hate cards. If the hate cards resolve, they brick the decks. But all of the decks have the effective tools to like stop their hate cards. Um, or like keep them from resolving, which is which is interesting. So would you say that this statement is true or false? That in legacy the better player wins the highest percentage of the time compared to the other formats? Um I think there was definitely a period of legacy where well, compared to the other formats right now. Um, no, I think Vintage is actually really skill-testing right now. It It is swingy. Like, you know, the plan for the Paradox Mirror is very much just, like, go off before your opponent. But I think there are a lot of nuances, and there's a lot of weird decks floating around, like the survival deck. And, like, knowing how to play against these decks and play around the hate is very skill-testing, because... Like I said, the hate is so good that you have to know how to fight through your deck's hate properly. Otherwise, you're going to die. So, like, if you give uh, Ego Baron uh, Paradox and then give someone else Paradox and have them, like, if you could set up a situation where they play against, like, a computer that will play the exact same cards against them in the exact same sequence and they will draw the same cards in the same sequence, you'll have two different results. Um Legacy right now is very much in a spot where, you know, a better player is going to win. And part of that is just the nature of cantrips, right? As you reduce variance, player skill gets to shine through more, per se. Um, but, you know, there's more to, like, being a good player than just knowing how to sequence, ponder, brainstorm, and preordain, right? Like, uh, if you look at Huey Jensen, right? He's in the Hall of Fame. Um he plays show and tell, right? And you know, we a lot of legacy players like the clown show and tell players for being apes or whatever, and they're like knowing when to just pick the simple deck and go is like a very good skill. Like you can win a lot of your matches on the deck red sheet. And like there's something to be said about just taking a deck that has a very proactive plan and going, this is good in the metagame. And it, you know, if it's good, you'll crush. And like, that is also a sign of a good player as opposed to just like, yeah, man, I played Delver of Secrets on one and then I dazed their thing and like I wastelanded them and I feel big brain and smart, whatever. So shout out, shout out to Bogle's players in modern. Fuck you. <laughs> I feel like I <laughs> nah, nah, miss me with that shit, man. <laughs> nah, I'm just fucking with you. No, like that's that's a very good point though. Like 
that deck is terrible a lot of the time. And then randomly people decide to sleeve up Celestial Colonnade and you're just like, you just throttle them. And, uh, you know, like, that's just how it is. And that's that's kind of just modern right now, just figuring out what deck is going to attack the weird-ass metagame this week. Because Yeah, I think that that's the format that's won on the deck red sheet the most, right? Oh, yeah. Modern's, modern's a deck where, like, you don't have enough sideboard slots to answer everything, so you need, like, a proactive deck uh that you know like you have to have like your kci or amulet or whatever you have to be playing like your quote-unquote vintage deck in modern where yeah. your deck is so proactive that your opponent has to answer you um and of course like the control decks exist miracles was the best deck in the format for like three months um yeah and then just like tanked uh out of nowhere it was really weird how that happened yeah, I wasn't quite sure of that because I did see the data. Somebody posted the data where <clears throat> that actually had like the best matchup against other tier one decks. Yeah. Um... It's just, I feel like if Legacy will stay in a place where th- that feeling of the best pilot winning, you know, a good percentage of the time and your decisions in deck building mattering. And as long as there's relevant games to play against other people who feel the same way about the format, then I think that the format's going to be okay in the long run. And if that goes away, that's when I worry about the format. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about, like, Magic Online going away or whatever. Uh, it's going to be some time before they implement, like, Legacy or Vintage or even Modern into that program, if they even decide to backlog all of those cards, right? So Moto will be there uh, while Arena's around. Like, they'll serve two different functions. Um, and even if, you know, say Moto does go under, I'm sure you'll see, like, Cockatrice Legacy Leagues or, like, you know, X-Mage Legacy Leagues or whatever. Like, bootleg Moto equivalents to just play Legacy with other dudes online. You know, we've seen so. we've seen Vintage survive, like... You know, yeah. like, even if Legacy gets to the point where, like, Vintage is, where it's, like, 15 proxies for a tournament, people will st- still run the tournaments. So, the format's not going to die. Like, like that's the thing. Like, you don't need Wizards support to play your format. It's, right. 100%. Which is, I think, where a lot of people just, like, get hung up. It's like, oh, there's they're cutting back on Legacy GPs. It's like, who gives a shit, dude? Build your local community. Get... You know, you can talk to your LGS and get a day where uh, there's just, like, a legacy cash game tournament or whatever. Like, I've done that. Just hosted, like, a $25 buy-in tournament and just cash in, cash out, just take no profit from it. And, like, people will show up and do it. So. Yeah, what matters to me the most, I think, is that there's players there that actually care about it. And that when you beat them, you can see the sadness on their face. That As long as that exists, then Legacy still exists in my, in my head. Did you just say you want to revel in the tears of your opponents? Yeah, like it has to mean something, right? Like that that's what's beautiful about old school is like when you're playing, like people fucking care. Part of that is because they're drunk, right? <laughs> but like it, there's this aspect of like I paid I paid X amount for my deck. There's this like there's this buy-in in that regard. Like I'm taking this seriously because I invested X into this deck. And so, like, people just end up taking it seriously. And, like, you know, the, the plays really matter. Even if, like, 
no, it's not getting recorded on some fucking MTG Goldfish top MTG top eight or some bullshit like that. Like in between the two of you at that point in time, who fucking wins this match is important. And you, you actually just beat someone when you win. That's what fucking matters to me. I don't, I don't give a shit what I'm playing. I could be playing Candyland, and I still want to win. <laughs> right? Like, any any game that you play is going to have that if you drink enough alcohol. Right, right. But, like, I guess that the people that are sick like us want to play this game. I got you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think Legacy is going to be fine. I'm curious to see... You know how play design affects it. Was there anything in Guilds of Ravnica that actually affected Legacy? I mission Rick... briefing, risk factor, risk factor. Yeah. So like we've we've had a pretty steady flow of like one to two cards per set that have like either made a huge impact. Like risk factor has redefined the blue red Delver deck, and uh, that deck is fucking scary. Um... It is. It gets you. Yeah, that deck is fucking scary. Like, Browbeat's a terrible card, but when you give that card flashback, and it all of a sudden reads, like, 8 mana, or no, 6 mana, deal 4 damage, draw 3 cards, it becomes real fucked up. But, um, I digress. Yeah, I severely underestimated that card when oh, we were going through the set review. Yeah, I, I saw that card and it was just like, Browbeat effects suck, and moved on with my life. Uh, because we've seen a lot of browbeat effects like get printed into magic uh, in the last few years, and they've all been terrible. And people have like always gravitated towards them because nerds look browbeat. And this is the first time that we've actually had one that's playable because it takes the decision away from your opponent, right? And and the problem of flooding in that deck is so real too, and that's just like the perfect out to that, right? So. That was instant speed too. There's so many factors that they just like finally printed a good enough one. Yeah, I think it's mostly just flashback. Like, you know, you're willing to take the four the first time, but the second time you just can't. So you have to let them draw three, and you know you're dead. It's kind of like gifts and given, right? It's that same dynamic of like it doesn't matter exactly. how you split it, you're dead. But yeah, I I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to see what cards get printed and what has an effect on the format. I wonder if there will be, like, any legacy playable, like, addendum cards or whatever. Um, oh, is that a new mechanic? Yeah, it's the Azorius mechanic. Yeah. What does it do? I don't. I haven't been following it at all. What does it do? Uh, they are... In, it's an instant, but if you cast it as a sorcery, you get a... You get, like, an upgraded effect, right? Ah. So, like, one of them is a seven-mana, like, um wheel of fortune type thing but if you play it at sorcery speed you get the free cast a card um okay but yeah we 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 guess we already have a card like that in legacy we already have brainstorm right which kind of has addendum right yeah i, I don't yeah, i guess so. i don't disagree i'm mostly just curious to see like if any of these new mechanics will actually break it into legacy um my general thought is like adapt is pretty medium riot is pretty medium like it'll probably just be a card or two but like afterlife is kind of interesting or like yeah tithe taker is kind of interesting as a card but we'll see lavinia sucks <clears throat> just gonna throw that yeah. out there <laughs> tired of people That's what started 
That's what started this whole so, guest spot is we're talking about Lavinia. I'm right? so tired of people talking about that card. Oh my god. That card is that card is a is a real fucking mess, honestly. Yeah, man, it cuts off days. Because if your opponent already has their two drop in play, they've either played around days or you don't have that card, so that's a relevant interaction. Yep. Yeah. Tom, how are you enjoying your vacation, man? You're off school, right? I'm loving it. I'm gonna do a cube after this. Is it really so a vacation I'm, though if your wife is home too? Uh well really I don't get vacations anymore because of the kid. But man, I uh he started to play basketball today. Like I got him a little hoop and he's loving it. So I'm I'm enjoying my time. Actually you gotta stretch him out, bro. You have a rack in your house? Uh he's already in the ninety fifth percentile. You gotta so make sure maybe, he reaches his full six five potential. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure that happens. So we're at like two hours. The longest cast by over half an hour. Hey, Megusta la gasolina, baby. Let's do it. All right. So before before we wrap this up, I want to thank three new patrons. We had Eric Kruger, Alex M, and Jason Aldrich sign up for our Patreon and get access to the Discord, where you can listen to Ian talk about whatever he wants to i yo i fucked up discord i haven't been on in like a week because i fucked it up on my phone after praising the app i gotta get back on that shit all right so if people want to reach out to you tom to find out how they should be drafting vintage cube how do they do that you can get in touch with me at t smiley mtg on twitter you can follow the cast at dead format cast and honestly if you want to talk about vintage cube you can text my cell phone directly at no, I'm just not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna I, actually. I would my give out your number right now, but I don't fucking have it because I was sitting in your driveway two nights ago trying to call you, and I was like, I don't actually know Tom Smiley's phone number. I actually don't have your phone number either. Yeah, it's fucking weird, man. It's this world we live in. We're we're just like we're fucking millennials living in a Gen Z world right now. Well, I don't. I don't classify myself as a millennial. Oh, you're a boomer. I forgot. No, I'm not that old. Sounding old as fuck right now. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Were you born in the 70s, Lawrence? I was born in 92, my guy. Oh, man. Sorry, Tom. You're alone in your 70s memories, bro. Oh. How, how is seeing Zeppelin live, though? Fuck, I'm old. <laughs> so we only got one email in in December, or we only had one emailer in December, which was our boy Corey Roth. So you guys got to get up on that shit. Deadformatcast at gmail dot com. Send us some fucking emails, bros. DMs are open. Up, slide bros. straight into them. Straight in, Lawrence. If people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Lawrence Harmon. Um, I've been streaming a bit more on Twitch. The link will be on my Twitter, but it's the Delicious Waffles. I think that's my screen name. I, I, I mean, you've been killing it, bro. You get like 30, 40 viewers. Yeah, I was surprised to have that many people on just the first couple streams. So that's awesome. Yeah, and and just to promote Lawrence's Twitter, you are a great Twitter follow. I I I don't know if this is okay to say, but you are like one of my few intersections to black twitter oh on twitter and it's so much fucking better than white twitter oh yeah my my twitter is great because i'm pretty sure like people follow me for magic 
And then they just aggressively get, like, Black Twitter retweeted onto their timeline. (laughs) And that's, like, the filtered version of Black Twitter. (laughs) It's, oh my god, it's great. It it is great. So, yeah, is your Twitter's not I am the lore? Is that just your, uh... Yeah, that's just my moto name. Okay, yeah, so it's Lawrence Harmon? Yep. Alright, cool. I'm at Ian18125, if you want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, deadformatcast at gmail.com. All right, that's a wrap.